Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey, Jake. Yes, sir. Did you know it is our anniversary month? How long have we been married? (laughs) No, the show. Oh. Yes. Yeah, I did know The that, show's actually. anniversary. We are turning six years old, and to celebrate that- We're going to first grade. We're <laughs> close. We're giving a discount on our Patreon. If you join the year-long subscription to the Patreon, you can get 15% off during the month of May. You can find out everything about our Patreon at patreon.com slash thecritshow, but all tiers for the month of May are 15% off when you sign up for the annual membership. Is that as exciting as first grade? You know, now that I'm kind of remembering back to first grade, that's far better than first grade. been sitting in silence trying to figure out like how do i start this intro because like there's a list of like oh here's things we need to talk about today but this is also the last time we're gonna be in this space that's so wild i think we just leave all the mics pointed in different directions and we just start destroying the room (laughs) (laughs) oh wait this is your house my home i need this room yeah no you're right that was dumb unless we like (laughs) unless unless we can okay so but maybe though Maybe we just make it sound like we're destroying the room. Mm. Let me hear your best noise destruction fully. (laughs) (laughs) That's a drill. Was that okay? I was like, is that a a jackhammer? Are we just we're we're on the second floor? Here, I've got one more pitch. Here, two words. Yeah, insurance Mm -hmm. fraud. (laughs) (laughs) I have always wanted an insurance frog. <laughs> Wait, what? Is that I'm what you in. said? Yeah, nope, that's okay, it. Yes. Let's get one. This is how we're going to compete with Geico. We're going <laughs> to get an insurance frog, and that's going to be the mascot of our new recording studio. <laughs> I, there has to be an insurance company that, like, when the Geico gecko came out, like, they're in, they're having a meeting, you know, they're all like just spitting out ideas, and one of them's like, uh, uh, a frog. And they're all like, yeah, that's a great idea. And then at some point, somebody did go, Wait, insurance frog? And they're like, you're right. Too close. Too close <laughs> to the other thing that we don't want to talk about. Uh, actually, you know what? Speaking of like mascot, we do have the names now for the two spaces in the recording studio. Our kind of gaming room, our streaming space is the Amalama Lounge. Love it. <laughs> and then our recording space is the Blue Rose Recording Studio. I like it. So delicate. So pretty. It's very beautiful. It's very cool because it was their gamer tag, but it's also the thing that Baba Yaga sent you all after when you first met her. That's from the podcast. It is. And from folklore. Nice. And the glass menagerie. (laughs) (laughs) It's the pleurosis (laughs) recording studio. (laughs) That's that's got a terrible mouthfeel, which... I think better encapsulates what happens in the studio <laughs> than Blue Rose. Uh, so 
our February calendar is out two two months in a row. Look at that. We got the calendar out. It's got all the things going on on there, episode releases, Twitch streams, etc. And aside from it being on the website, you can also find a link to it in the show notes now. Uh, so if you're ever trying to figure out what's coming out on what day or what streams or events might be going on, you can check the show notes or you can go to the website uh, and find our monthly calendar. And for this month on the calendar, you'll see that we have a one-shot ran by Jake. Jake, what what day, what time, what game are you doing? Uh, that will be on Tuesday, February 15th, starting at 8 p.m., and I will be running Monster of the Week. Hmm, I've heard of it. Sounds familiar. It was a task <laughs> joke. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I'm honored. If you would like to join Jake for this game this month, uh, you can get tickets at thecritshowpodcast.com slash play with us. Nice, 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 nice. <laughs> you also notice something new on there. Saturday the 5th at 5 p.m. over at twitch.tv slash thecritshow. We have a thing called the Tabula Sono stream. Uh, Tabula Sono is a virtual tabletop, and they have asked to run me through a demonstration of how their virtual tabletop works. So uh, we will be doing that live. I have no experience with the program. I'm very excited uh, to see exactly how it works. Uh, and that'll be Saturday the 5th, this coming Saturday at 5 p.m., Eastern at twitch.tv slash the crit show. And then lastly, I just want to take the opportunity to thank all of the patrons who joined us in the month of January. Michael Dean, Barbarous, uh, maybe not, Barabus, T-Rex Jones, Hex DeWitt, Red, Paige Woodard, Ben W, John Bendel, Discord Solstice, my favorite holiday to celebrate, <laughs> Kieran De La Rue, Alex Wallace, Ed Lamb, Chris Brimage, John Block, Levi, and David LaSalle. So thank you to those who joined us in the month of January, and thank you to everyone who joins us every month at patreon.com slash thecritshow. You can head over there and get access to the most aggressively welcoming Discord on the internet for a single dollar. And you just crumple that bad boy up, and you just throw it to the wind, and it'll it make its way wind. to us. <laughs> every time a dollar is lost, you're unknowingly added to the Discord. You have to crumple... <laughs> You have to crumple it up and hold it close to your heart and make a wish and then let it go on the breeze. Our Discord is a <laughs> wish that your heart makes. <laughs> so, uh, goodbye from the Rev's House Studio? I know. Can't believe we never came up with a better name than that. I know. No topping it. I think it's, I think no. it's beautiful. <laughs> it, it was function meets form. That's right. It was it was perfect and we've raised its jersey into the rafters and it's time to move on to bigger and better things. Welcome back to our second half of the Urban Shadows Q&A. If you are just tuning in, weird place to start. What are you doing? Please go back to the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end of this episode, I've been collecting all of the outtakes from Urban Shadows. So you're all going to have a nice long outtake reel at the end of this, so enjoy that as well. Nice. Can I start us off on this one? Because I did a big whoopsie at the end of the last one, and I'd love to just kind of clear my conscience. <laughs> yeah, fair. Okay. Uh, how much of the last day before Nash arrives, so everything goes bananas, was planned in advance and or held in reserve because of GM moves? At what point did you decide to go down that road? Yeah, so this kind of came up earlier uh, talking about that downtime whether or not you all were going to take that faction move. And that's why I ultimately didn't want to make that decision because I had decided how many days it was until Nash arrived. And so if you had taken that faction move, Nash would have arrived in like the middle of it. 
So he just would have been there. Um, and so, yeah, that was something that I had planned out from the beginning. Uh, Kim was very diligently keeping track of days. So hey. I never had to keep track myself. And I knew <laughs> how much time was left before he arrived. So, um, yeah, it just happened to fall right at the last mission. Um, if they had taken a little longer on some things, he would have come in earlier. Or if a couple things had gone just a little faster, they would have been gone before he even had the chance to arrive. I think we got super lucky on how that played out. Yeah, I agree. Were were there things we could have done that would have changed whether or not he came at all? Like, is there a reality where, like, you know, if we had made his house seem by not us, but the consequences of our actions had made his house seem very stable. Would he have never shown up? Uh, so him showing up actually wasn't related to the issues they were having. It was kind of his yearly diplomatic visit. There were ways that you could have disrupted that, but it would have involved someone, all of you, whatever, going to another part of the world and kind of causing a kerfuffle to draw his attention away to that part of the world. I see. Um, but we really never got outside of the world of Chicago. Um, so a lot of the kind of larger global, um, I don't want to say global politics, but the 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 things that are going on in the world uh, on a larger scale don't really factor in much to the way Urban Shadows works. Um, so we didn't have to talk or deal with that much at all. Uh, one thing that I do remember was back in our Halloween episode when Megan and Tass were fighting against Aiden Chambers this got recorded and then we sort of backtracked off of it. But Megan and Tass intimated that they had killed a previous Mercury. And then we all sort of paused and were like, wait, would they actually say that yeah. in this yeah. moment? Because if we Aiden finds that. this out, there is no way that he is not immediately <laughs> telling Nash. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we were just trying to piss him off. And <laughs> we were like, let's get this guy to fight us so we can take him out. And we're like, this is actually really bad. Yeah, this isn't yeah. smart at all. <laughs> we we would be smarter than this. Yeah. <laughs> we in character know Our we can't characters say characters are way smarter than we are in real life. Uh, Rev, did you expect the players to collect the object so fast? You seem incredulous every time the team actually get a hold of an artifact for a reading, especially when it doesn't cause their usual chaos. <laughs> How have their actions differed from what you had anticipated? Yeah, so we talked about that. I left that. I, I combined two questions because I wanted to leave in that incredulous. I thought it was worth noting that someone <laughs> wrote that in. Um, yeah, you know, I talked about this a little bit last episode, but there were things that I thought were going to take a lot longer just in the way that I think just in the way that I know that Jake and Tess like to deal with stuff. And, you know, I'm just getting to know Megan as a player and, and how she likes to deal with social interactions. Um, but then the addition of Kim also, you know, I play a game with Kim, but it was all very combat heavy. Uh, we played in a, a Curse of Strahd game together. Mm -hmm. And the dynamic of all four of them working together and bouncing ideas off of each other made new decisions or even new, like, branches appear to people that I don't think they maybe normally would go down. It was a really interesting process to watch um, how, you know, Megan would throw something out and that would bounce Jake a different direction and he would say something and Tass would add on to it and then Kim would say, oh, we've also got this element that can go into that and suddenly this new direction would be created um, that was completely justifiable in the world and just because it was easier, like, I couldn't be like, well, no, that's not going to work. Like, no, it, it works. So... I think that the the ghosts, I imagined that you guys probably would have 
worked with the ghosts in some way, done some favors for them. And like, that was a group I thought you might get close to. The werewolves kind of went exactly like I thought it would. Lady Jency, I thought it might be a situation much more like what the Court of the Silver Wing was, that maybe you would have to sneak someone in during a meeting to get that reading. The closeness, the proximity that you got to all of the items, I think is what really struck me the most. I mean, out of nine of them, only one of them you didn't get a hands-on reading for, which, you know, this will obviously come up much later as we go on through the story, but will help you in big ways as you go into these other worlds to to find these sources of power that Nash is using. I'm just really proud of us that we successfully did a heist, finally. Right? Yeah, we did, didn't we? A bunch of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and a couple of smash and grabs. (laughs) Yeah. We're well-rounded. Is that what we're calling a task? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I did the smash and grab. (laughs) Speaking of smash and grab. Uh Again, really? Yeah, I'm so happy that I get to say this question. Tass, why do your characters get to have the spiciest moments? Is it because (laughs) it goes on? Is it because you are just naturally spicy or have you bribed your GMs? Yeah. No. This is something you want a lot, I think. So you probably bribe, right, for the outcome. Stop it. I I think that it is because Tass is the person that I understand his lines the best that's fair like yeah. i i can't imagine role-playing a romantic thing with jake and him not being like that, that I don't, just, I, just skip it i'd sooner die <laughs> yeah <laughs> we, we kind of see that in um perilous tides a little bit whenever you're dealing with, with esme you're like yep we hold hands and it fades to black <laughs> and so you know That was so loud it blew out my microphone. <laughs> well, I'm spouting off as much detail as yeah. I can during the fade to black. Uh, so, so yeah. I I'll, ultimately I think it is a. Uh, I mean, I, I can't I can't speak for uh, Philomena, and because I assume that's the other they're talking about the White <laughs> yeah. Tower. But I God. think that there is a uh, nonverbal cues that Task gives off when someone starts to like go down that path with an NPC that. Tells you like, oh, yeah, we can keep going down this path, and he's not gonna just <laughs> shut me shut me down. They're called winks, Rev. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the little nudges under the table. Yeah. <laughs> the 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 real things he said, yes, but otherwise, I don't know. I <laughs> I don't sign up for this, but it's okay because it's fun. It's you know, it, it ends up being hilarious, and and you know, as long as it moves the story forward, that's all I'm concerned about. Uh, you know, but that should be true of anything, whether it's spicy stuff or something horror or something um, gory. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's just nonsense, it shouldn't be there. But if it's actually a part of the plan, so to speak, of course, that's, you know, that has weight. Uh, Megan, if you could say anything to the Urban Shadows version of Nash, what would it be? Yeah, that's difficult because, I mean, it's the same person as my grandpa, but it's not. Yeah. We never got the opportunity to become close in the first instance mm-hmm. of me, you know, being his chosen, let alone us growing together from me being a child and him being in that role of being my grandfather. Yeah. So he kind of had, like, my grandpa Nash had two bouts of, like, being very close with Megan. Yeah. It should be very flattering, though, because, I mean, uh, this current Urban Shadows Nash lost you as the Chosen and just there was no one better. So he had no choice but to choose himself to be the Chosen. 
Oh, I definitely have not been thinking about it that way. I've been thinking about <laughs> it like a that plan sucked. Oh. <laughs> what's 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 a? I'm gonna go a different direction because this isn't working out. Um, yeah, I guess it would probably be like I'm sorry that you didn't really get the opportunity to have someone to care for or to care for you mm. enough to hold something more important than this plan that you have kind of enacted on the world. Yeah, that's good. Uh, next question. The relationship Jake has developed with Danny has been one of my favorite things in this timeline. It's just so wholesome. Is Jake planning on finding out anything about Mosquito Dan's offspring when he returns to the right timeline? Uh, that thought has definitely crossed my mind several times. Um, I know that like, well, I mean, now now I know because we kind of talked about it last episode. This isn't like Mosquito Dan's next of kin. This is somewhere down the line. Yeah. So I'm not going to find Danny. But I mean, this is just kind of the theme we've come up against consistently throughout this whole show. I recognize now what the potential of this thing that was a monster is. And now I feel like I need to save it. So yes, ideally, I would like to figure out what became of them and figure out a way to make their existence a positive for them and us mm. and not just like pestilence out in the world <laughs> terrifying people <laughs> i mean we've already kind of started laying that groundwork with like the pizza party <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. of, yeah. Of this idea of how can we how can we create an environment where we can coexist yeah yeah and you you have all talked about this too i this is one of those things i don't know if you've talked about it on, if we've talked about it on mic or it's just been chatter kind of around the table, but with the pizza party in particular, the idea that you have wanted to check back in on that other world and see like, hey, how's it going that they're trying to make this like cohesive, um, this cohesive world. In the cracked mirror. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I think like, especially the big change about this though, is that like Mosquito Dan seemed not exactly mindless, but like way more bestial yeah. than Danny did. So like, yeah, you know, along like the pizza party and everything, like we've definitely behaved this way with all of the monsters that like talked to us, <laughs> but Mosquito Dan still seemed like a creature last time we encountered him more than a person. And now I've got to kind of revisit that notion. Mm. Next question. What is the first thing Kim is planning to say to the old Strom when you meet her again in the past? Ooh. I've given this a lot of thought and I'm I'm not sure yet because it, it kind of that moment has a lot of weight, both for all of us as a group in terms of getting Strom on our side and getting her to believe the things that I have to say. It also has a lot of weight for me personally as someone who had a very deep connection to Strom uh, that there is a desire to want to have a similar relationship with the Strom in this timeline. But that's also a lot of pressure to put on someone to like come into the past and be like, hey, we were so close a hundred years from now to the point where I viewed you as a parent, but also, hi, it's very nice to meet you. Uh, <laughs> and so like, I'm I am I'm I'm stressing out about that like privately I'm 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 like writing down notes in my phone of like things that I want to say to her and how to best forge this relationship because I I definitely don't want to fail the IPT and I don't want to fail my Strom you know she she believed that I could go back into the past and convince this current Strom to believe us and to help us but also like personally I just I really want this Strom to like me 
<laughs> as as simple as that is. <laughs> well, you know, we don't want you to fail either, so make it good. <laughs> yeah. Kim, Kim walks in. She's like, "Hey, do you remember when you got that girl killed?" <laughs> uh, 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 she just starts hey, freaking. Hey, do you me- hey do you remember that? I'm excited for the first time that like. We are, you know, Strom is like sending us off or something. And Kim's like, okay, bye, mom. Oh, oh, sh- uh, uh, shit. <laughs> bye, mom. Love you. <laughs> love you. Oh, oh no, no. Uh, so, Rev, what hooks did you set out that we never followed up on? And what would have been waiting for us if we had? Obviously, the the Wraith was a hook that, that didn't get followed. There was some of it was it wasn't that you didn't follow them. It was just that you ran out of time. Because um, you knew the time was kind of counting against you, too, for Megan to get back. Um, but there was, you know, you had found Jingle's body. There wasn't quite enough time for James. Um, that was another part of the trade-off, going back to a question last episode, that if that faction turn had happened, James would have gotten Jingle's done by the time that that was over. Mm, sure. But really, you know, that one in particular is the only one that that sticks out because at some point, the way you all started dealing with the game system and dealing with the relationships between the NPCs and stuff, I didn't put as much weight into how I thought it was going to go and like try to set out a kind of a foundation, you know, like with the casino. Okay. Here's how the guards work and here's the rotation schedule. And and here's, here's the floor plan and this and that. And I stopped coming up with that stuff unless I absolutely needed it because I didn't want to have it pull me in a way of like oh well i kind of want this to happen and i've got it already so i'll I'll, you know knock it this direction i mean yeah all the hooks that i put out there you you dealt with you dealt with sui you dealt with the house you by the house i mean the magic house with the the bookseller in it um you dealt with all of the stuff that came up with megan's faction that was a lot of the hook stuff was the special blood and them using it to be able to track humans down yeah, there were a couple of things that I was curious on where those would have gone, like the the blood for sure, uh, figuring out where exactly that came from. Mm-hmm. And then also, like, we knew that Lady Jency was planning on doing a big uh, takeover again to yeah. go back to hell or whatever. But whoa, whoa, what was her, <laughs> what was her plan? Like, yeah. overall, like, what? Where did that fall into our timeline of like, we determined she's trying to get a certain number mm-hmm. and we didn't know where that was. So yeah, you definitely could have like learned how close she was and it, it was super close. Like if, if you had started working for her to gain favor to like get a meeting with her where you could sneak James in, it probably would have been like the culmination of her. You know, there's a world where when you all got to the end of this story, that faction may not have been in the world anymore. They may have been like, hey, we're going home now. Nice. You come in, Tass? Yeah. Oh, about <laughs> oh, that. Tass no. has to explain why he's the only demon left. You all talked about quite a few times going to visit Baba Yaga to see like what she knew and what uh, what her deal was. Uh, I so I always had that prepared, but again, it was you know the world outside of Chicago didn't really factor into much of what you had to deal with, and you were on such a tight schedule. So how was she doing? Oh, good, good, oh, thriving. Really, really, I mean, there's no reason not to talk about it. That area in the uh, in the forest is kind of like the Bermuda Triangle now. Like, don't fucking go in there because nothing comes out. Nice. Uh, what would have become of Dr. Benson's screenplay? Was it good? Here's the problem. He would have needed to bring on some punch-up writers, uh-huh. and he's very arrogant. Yeah. Yeah, he is. That's so son we, of a he would have needed someone Love like him. you on the cast to make him see... Like, no, this dialogue doesn't quite hit the way you think it does. They all sound like you. 
<laughs> you know, that's always the danger as a playwright is making all of the characters sound like the playwright. What would happen to one of the hunters if they filled up their corruption track? I believe that according to Urban Shadows, they become complete monsters and become under my power as a threat. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was I was one level up away on my corruption track from <laughs> retiring and returning as a threat. Yeah. So they would have become a, a threat to what it was you were all trying to do. Yeah. Some of the playbooks definitely rely more on using corruption. I know Kim had a lot of moves that that was the whole thing. Tass as well. Yeah. Mark corruption and do some cool shit. Uh, mine didn't really utilize it hardly at all. I think I leveled up once maybe. Yeah. And you were only like three ticks into the next one by the time you were out of the game. My eye all seeing move was just so useful for us to gather information, especially before we had access to Kester and Tiresias, that I was just burning through corruption like wild. Uh, When and how close did the party get to failing their mission, maybe even without realizing it? There's only one moment in particular that I can think of, and Megan asked a question, and I had such a relieved reaction to it that Kim took it as a, I hadn't thought of that, but it was a, I was hoping someone would think of that. Do you all remember what that was? Yes. So it was when we were planning to go into Aiden's office and making the plan of, okay, do we get redline people to help do this? Do we draw him out to another place? And that's kind of where I was leaning just with my playbook moves. I was like, I think if we get him out in the open, we have a lot more allies that we can kind of rely on. Um, But everyone else brought up a lot of really good points about it being better to just sneak in there take him kind of unaware um and so once it kind of seemed like that made more sense i was like okay well he's probably gonna have some defenses so what are those gonna look like yeah so if you had all gone in without the knowledge particularly of those gatlin guns hidden in the corner it would have been it would have been a bloodbath so that was a question that was asked and then also in the similar vein jake discovering that oh yeah you know the thing that kim does doesn't quite count as magic it's this other thing and then megan talking to her grandpa like hey is there anything unique about when you do this and him being like oh yeah there is a moment where i can't do it again and obviously that was very important too to that specific plan of kim hypnotizing him oh right the can't eat two sandwiches at once yes yeah okay can't eat two sandwiches at the same time because he's weak (laughs) (laughs) we got into such an argument about that that Jake ate three at one time just to prove us that it could be done. Yeah, I am the devourer now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, next one. What has been the hardest thing about playing your alt selves, but also other people whose identities you've taken? Oh. Oh, yeah. Uh, For me, it was definitely taking this power of position in running a faction. Not just running a faction, but like running a faction of people who were essentially like refugee so like were in hiding who were afraid for their lives and were trying to figure out how to defend themselves and most specifically working with kit because he obviously like relied on and respected and cared for fiona and saw her as a leader and to know that i was taking her place and that she was dead and that he didn't know it and I had to pretend like mm. everything was fine. Um, that's that's tricky going into a position where I knew that whatever I did, he would think that that's what she did because of the way that the magic and the technology had been set up. Yeah. But like morally, it still is like, yeah, I'm doing this. Yeah. I think for me with Urban Shadows, it's 
just kind of my own fault that I set up this character to be like he's he was here because he was a problem child like this version of Regal like whoever the real one was was kind of a problem child and that's why he was here and I I did this to myself where I myself playing myself would have a much easier job just playing the good soldier like my tunnel vision lends itself to that just my sort of the natural way I do things if I were just playing good soldier I think it would have been a lot easier for me as both the player and as you know the person in that role to just you know salute and move on and stay under the radar but then I got into it and went oh no he's a problem child I have to be a problem child a little bit to for this to be believable and I had I mean I had a little issue with that and we've I'm sure we stopped several times with some of the specific things to be like I don't know is this too much or like I'm not sure which way I would hit this that would be believable and um, I just jumble myself up on those things um, when I have to add that extra step. So nobody's fault but mine, but there it was. <laughs> Man, I'm not being able to think of anything for this game for Urban Shadows that was like a real problem because the identity that I stepped into was very disconnected. Like he didn't really have any ties mm. that really mattered. You know, the, the only tie that really mattered was to Danny and that wasn't until he got there. That was the job. So like I didn't have any ethical qualms about like pretending to be Brzezak, pretending to like this kid like i just you know Brzak didn't know this kid um so i feel like this one was was pretty harmless for me in like dungeon world and the sprawl like th- that was different you know those ones i did encounter like people who knew mm. the the person i was pretending to be and like that was a little bit harder to deal with but urban shadows i don't feel like i hit that very much i think a little bit you did with danny just in the sense of your responsibilities to the order of the ley line in the her asking to go home and you're kind of having to balance like because of the position I'm in I can't just take you home even though that's what I want to do and that's what you want that was yeah. interesting yeah oh yeah a little bit because ultimately I still was like I kind of got what I wanted you know like <laughs> I, I figured out how to get what I wanted and it hadn't been my fault that I couldn't do that so but yeah I mean I, I did I, I had to deal with a little bit of that you're right um I didn't have any alternative identities to balance but things that I had to keep in mind were just essentially what was true about myself in this world compared to actual Kim there were some very obvious biographical differences that I made because I always had the assumption that somehow I would end up traveling back into the past so things like my twin sister not in this narrative or else that would be an entire different moral quandary of do I even want to leave or unmake this world Uh, or even just like cultural references if I were born a hundred years later than I currently am like what when you all reference movies what would I not know but yeah it was pretty easy (laughs) also coin Kim is five foot two because real life Kim (laughs) is four foot seven yeah excuse me four foot eleven you can really hear it in the audio (laughs) you can really hear those three you can hear that she's a little bit higher above the microphone uh, this one, this one is framed as for me and Tass and Rev, but I think in, to to some extent this will still apply to all of us. Uh, you guys have played story arcs in four different PBTA systems at this point: Monster of the Week, Dungeon World, The Sprawl, and Urban Shadows. Which game has been your favorite to play, and why? But I mean, I I suppose I can we go outside of this? Like, can we talk about the ones on the show? But then, like beyond that, just what we've played and 
so that you know they're not left out i'll allow it okay (laughs) (laughs) man i mean it's hard i think it's hard for me not to say monster of the week because we've spent so much time in it and kind of we built a home in monster of the week it's very comfortable there i still really like dungeon world because the story that we're telling isn't always a mystery and so there are times where we're you know we're spending three four five episodes maybe where you can't really roll beginning of mystery moves. You're not going to get any experience at the end of it because it's not a mystery. We're, we're dealing with some problems. We're, and so I liked uh, kind of the, the freedom of not being inside of the this mystery format. That's just something that I've just come to accept. Like, oh, okay, it's just, there's going to be times where you're not going to get anything <laughs> for doing what you're doing. Yeah, that's fair. I, my instinct is to say Dungeon World because I just love high fantasy so much and it's just such a big part of why i'm a nerd in the first place but i think i'm still gonna lean back towards monster of the week with where i am just in life anymore because any of the stories i want to write uh any of the inspiration i have for new stories and stuff it's that mix of high fantasy with contemporary setting um because i love i love 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 world building but it's just you know write what you know I don't, as much as I love those old worlds and things, I just, I'm not much of a historian. <laughs> I, I'm not much of a buff with that stuff. So when it comes to writing how things should look and how they should work and so on, I'm just brain dead with that stuff. So world building is much harder for me in that. So just, yeah, Monster of the Week hits all of those marks, both playing it and wanting to write for it. <clears throat> so for for me, broadly speaking, and we've some of us have talked about this in the past, Games that m- mechanize events that you're not like actively playing, I don't really click with. Mm. So like like the faction turn in Urban Shadows. I mean, I don't, I didn't like dislike it, but I would always rather be resolving a thing by playing the thing than by just like asking questions from a list and and making die rolls mm. and stuff. So that's kind of what like. Uh, urban shadows and you know to some degree like the sprawl but yeah. like and you know in uh, the debt system in this at some point when we started playing this game uh, me and Rev had to like he had to make me understand how debts work because I was like wait so I want to like influence this person in this way or something he's like yeah but you don't have a debt on them I'm like so I can't do a thing if I don't have a debt in this game no okay I don't fucking understand like <laughs> I you know like the way I interacted with Selena like that's how I want to handle things like yeah. I just want to talk to people and if the thing i say is good i want it to matter and so a game where it's like unfortunately mechanically it can't you talking can't do the job those never really work for me and i don't know i don't know what everybody else's thoughts are on those i i agree i think it takes a lot more like strategy like if you want to plan your next several moves ahead of time systems like this work really well for that um uh, through all of the you know different games that we've gone through, I I would also say Monster of the Week. I mean that's why I'm here. You know, finding that game and that episodic nature and the setting uh, just clicks with me so deeply. I love it so much that I started learning about the game and looking for podcasts mm. so I could learn how to play it. And it just means so much to me that I have the most fun with it. Yeah, Urban Shadows was the perfect place to do the story that we needed to do of collecting items from various groups. Like if we had tried to do the same story in monster of the week or dungeon world, it would have taken a hundred episodes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it it really, this, this kind of urban shadows heist story, you know, this, this was a really good system for it. Yeah. I really like 
like faction and intrigue kind of games. So uh, I I thought Urban Shadows was really interesting. I wish we had had more time to really get into the debt system. We because the plot was moving so quickly and because we were resolving a lot of things with uh, clever player plans and just conversation, we didn't really have a lot of time to really uh, introduce a lot of the debt mechanic in terms of people cashing in debts or using those. We used them a few times. Yeah, because I really kind of set a thing for myself that unless one of the players was in the room with somebody, they weren't going to call in a debt. Like, I didn't want this to turn into a long event of side hustles you all had to do to get things done. So, like with Benson or with Prue, like, oh, you're here and they have a debt on you, so now they're going to call it in. But with the exception of Aiden, I really didn't want people just literally calling you and be like, hey, I need you to do a job for me. Because while it was a mechanic of the game, for me, as the person kind of leading this story train, it was just additional derailments that I didn't want. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think for me, uh, definitely like the investigation side of Monster of the Week is particularly what what draws me to it. Yeah. And that idea of, I don't need to, you know, roll perception to see what I see in here. I'm going to think of what am I, what am I going to look for? Mm -hmm. And then do I find it? So I think that's that's where I like to live. Um, to to touch back on like something that Kim and Tass both address, like Kim said, you know, like I I like intrigue and stuff, and you know, Tass is talking about he likes high fantasy. Like I like the genre of of urban shadows, right? Like I like I think urban fantasy is my probably favorite genre. So yeah. like Monster of the Week and Urban Shadows have both really hit that for me. And like Dungeon World, I also like high fantasy. The the sprawl is one that 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 genre doesn't really click with me either. You know, like uh, cyberpunk is not really a place that I feel super comfortable. But, you know, none of, none of these, I, I wouldn't rate these based on, like, how much I click with the genre or anything. Like, it's it's the system itself, because, frankly, I, I quite enjoy all of these genres. I'm wondering, too, in this moment of just listening to all of these answers and just us being who we are, having played this game and told this story for so long at this point, how much is, like, I don't want to say a failing on the part of us as players i'm gonna say a symptom we'll go symptom this is a better term of just going into these new games new systems while telling the same story and i'm, I'm wondering how much is like this symptom of this is how we've been telling it because of monster of the week and its rules and how it works and how much we're no matter how much rev is trying to make sure that we're dragged into the new world and the new system and the new you know game uh how much we as the players still just kind of like are approaching it with monster of the week solutions. You know, we've talked earlier about how that, you know, the addition of, of uh, Megan and Kim as new players in the dynamic with Jake and I, and how it's changing the way you rev see, you know, or think that we might hit something because we have this whole new dynamic. I'm wondering how much is like me set in my way of like, well, I have to just approach the problem the way that I have been. And I need to get out of that no matter what game system I'm in. So I'm like, it's, I don't know. That's a very general question to myself is how much of my love of this game is just me kind of set in loving how it works and how we've been approaching the story. I think we kind of see that though, like especially in Urban Shadows, like all of these games are very different settings and even the mechanics differ like greatly, but they're all still kind of connected. And that's what works so well with us going into different worlds. And if you think about it, if you go into a new world, you have to learn it when you're there. You're going to rely on what you know and how things work wherever you came from. But then, like we said, over time, especially when we got to the end of this last arc, it was what allies do we have? What What is the political power everyone has right now? 
how can we use that to our benefit? So we did definitely begin to look at this as mechanically in, in Urban Shadows with what we have learned as players, what makes sense for us to do as, as characters in this game. Fair. So I think that's a I think that's a good question, mm. but I also think it's it's something I wouldn't have thought to look at. But thinking back on it, there's there's kind of that transition as we're in a different world in a different game of how we approach problems. That's fair. I guess it is that so simply stated and observed that the literal approach of the player is going to mirror our characters trying to like problem solve and going. That's not how it works here. We have to mm. figure out a new style, or we're not going to survive. Because Rev will fucking kill us in the real world. <laughs> um, I mean, on on that topic, like one one thread that is fairly common among these is these are kind of fatal systems if you just try and fight. If you just try and step to somebody. I feel like we didn't fight in Dungeon World as much as we could have. Like we stepped into Dungeon World, which is more hit points you can fight and yeah. take a beating and stuff. And we didn't because like that's not normally how it goes. Yeah. But also I think we fight more in Monster of the Week then it's like designed for us to do like yeah, because built kind of really tanky yeah we we built kind of fighters yeah in a game that in many ways is not about the fight yeah i think uh it's funny when we step into a game we step into urban shadows which is more fatal than monster of the week <laughs> yes. and we're like we can fight even less now <laughs> We know that a scene in Funhouse referred to the equation used to bring the group to this time. Did the Funhouse have any other references to this arc? It did not. That was the that really I think is the only lingering thing from the Funhouse. I think everything else that you all saw has been expounded upon through various stories or conversations. I think. Did we did we do it? Did we finally collect all of the funhouse pieces? I think so. Maybe. Well, you collect the ones that you saw. Well, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Given that Urban Shadows has come after several other systems, the Sprawl, Monster of the Week, etc., what was your favorite unique aspect slash feature of the system that really stood out to you? I liked, I didn't utilize, but I like the ability to reclassify your numbers with each of the factions mm. in, in the faction turn. I like the idea that just, you can be like, all right, what did I do? How would that change this? This is the new nature of my relationships with these groups. I thought that was pretty interesting. I just didn't actually do much to change that over the course of this. Uh, just corruption for me, I think, is a good, simple answer. I think it's really well balanced in this game to get a good amount of story with the idea of here's something that you can spend that is both a detriment and a huge boon. Um yeah, I, just, I think it's really well balanced. The amount that you get, what you can do with it. Um, from what I've seen of all the playbooks and read through, I think they're good reward for the cost uh, in, you know, making a tense story that, you know, you could blow through it really quickly. You, you know, you can choose your spots. You can hang on to it. Uh, yeah, I think it's a very well-rounded mechanic in this game. Yeah, I really liked the corruption mechanic. As someone who loves spoilers and loves finding out things, having a move where it was literally like, yeah, sure, you take damage and you spend corruption, but then I just get to ask Rev whatever I want and he has to tell me honestly was so tempting for me as a player. And I used it all the time because I just, I wanted to find things out. And sometimes we were on a time crunch, like trying to rescue Lana. And it was like, yeah, you have no way to open this. And it's like, all right, well, I'll, I'll take harm and spend corruption. How do we get this open? Uh, it was just, God, it was so it was so useful. Uh, we only used it a couple of times, but I thought the intimacy move was really neat. 
uh, especially because this game is so centered around like deaths and the, the power you hold of, over other people that the idea when you're vulnerable with someone else, even if that's just emotionally, that you can get some kind of boon from that, but also it requires you to take it a step further. So we had it a couple of times with Kim and I kind of opening up to each other, but then even on top of that, there's specific things for each playbook. So like for mine, it was, uh, I could ask a question and then she would answer it honestly. And then you are able to uh, advance your, you are able to like mark an advancement on your track for using that move. I really liked in the faction turn, all the different things that the factions could do. Like, I thought that was a fun addition of like, okay, so I know where this group's head at, where this group's head is at. What do they want to do? Yeah, they want to kidnap somebody. And, you know, I roll a die. And if it was an NPC, mostly it just succeeded. If it was a PC, there was a chance that you could get away. Um, and then I really liked that if they rolled high enough, they could do a thing and then hide that they did that thing. So it's like, oh yeah, they didn't do anything this round. So that was kind of fun to like, I would always do that after you had all went home and I knew we were getting close to a thing. I'd like sit down and really have to like write it out. Okay, so this is what they're doing from this list. What do they want to do? Who's being featured this time? Um, and so that was like a, a weird little mini game that I got to do by my <laughs> by myself before you all arrived. <laughs> I was quite curious as to what was going on behind your DM screen. <laughs> yeah, very crowded GM screen this time. What determines how long the group stays in a world? The team's time in Urban Shadows feels much longer than the Sprawl, but much shorter than Dungeon World and Fanarin. Ultimately, it comes down to what they need to accomplish. Um, I think they spent so much time in Dungeon World because they knew what they needed to do there, but they didn't know how or where, and they had a whole world to explore. And then the Sprawl, they knew very specifically what they were doing, what they were going to get. And then in Urban Shadows, it was a similar vibe of the Sprawl, just more things they had to do while making absolutely sure that certain people didn't know they were there. So yeah, I really think it's just the task that they have to accomplish and their familiarity with where they're arriving. And I think that we'll get to see that play out as you all go into these other worlds again. Um, I'm interested to see how long you're in each one of them, because in my mind, I have a thought of how long it's going to be, but some of them could be much longer, much shorter than what I think. Yeah, I think especially initially with Urban Shadows, our progression through the first few episodes was a little slower. By the time we got to the end, we were we were burning through items. And granted, it's because we got a lot of lucky breaks and we were feeling a little more confident about things. But I think initially, especially with you three having to balance your other lives, that was a large concern initially of being like, well, we can't make these moves because we need to, you know, maintain our cover identities. And so we got to we got to split up all the time. And then we were eventually like, well, let's just keep working together. And, you know, if the obligations of Berzak and Regal come up, they'll come up as interruptions. You know, we don't have to really focus on that so much. Yeah, that's true, because initially when you all arrived here, you all worked kind of independently for for the first couple of episodes doing your mm -hmm. own thing. Uh, but yeah, then that kind of making Grandpa Tincher's subterranean lair, the the base and most of you operating out of that kind of changed the 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 workflow of the world. Uh, and then the last one, what has been your favorite moment in this season so far? Uh, getting abducted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So creepy, so baffling. So exciting. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess like 
two separate tracks. Like my my favorite moment that I was like a part of was both of the magic horses comforting me. That mm. just that also just happened to hit me on a rough day and was just a really nice moment. Um, and just I mean, come on, just the the culmination of the win. Jake giving the double middle finger to the room, teleporting out, and that building just exploding from a space laser is so satisfying. Ugh. The execution of that plan, like with the exception of the one Gatlin gun firing into the room, that plan went exactly as you all envisioned it. I, it's, that's wild. God, I loved that final plan and Aiden like waking up on the sidewalk with like no memory of what happened and then watching Nash Tower fall. And I, I love that earlier in that episode, I was flooding his mind with visions of Nash Tower falling the same way that the vault did. And like my sort of like last vision came true. I mean, I'm always happy to go to a magic zoo. <laughs> that, that was really nice. Um, I think a, a couple other times that really have stuck in my mind was going with Lana to the the kind of clearing mm-hmm. where she was living. Um, and then when we did when we did the casino heist, but when I when I went up through the the shoot, and it was kind of I feel like it was my first time kind of going off on my own, mm-hmm. really, and especially being in like a world where I didn't have my powers and. It was like the first thing that we really tried to do and having to trust that I knew what I was doing and that Mm -hmm. I could communicate with everybody else was the whole, that whole scene was really interesting. And then Tass just fireball (laughs) (laughs) through the window was so like the perfect example of, well, we didn't see this coming. Yeah. (laughs) Um, My, one of my other favorite things, and I want to say this because otherwise I don't know how the listeners would ever know that this happened was the very first moments of episode one of this season. So (laughs) when we all sat down to record that first episode and this was my this was my first time recording in person. I was in Indianapolis at the time and I was sitting right next to Rev and Rev passed me a piece of paper and he was like, read this privately. And what it said was, after I give the opening monologue for season four, I'm going to start a timer on my phone and you have 10 real life minutes to communicate all of the information on this page. And if it doesn't happen in 10 minutes, Tass is going to miss his flight and Jake is going to miss his check-in with the order of the ley line. Yeah. And Strom is going to know you're here. Yeah. And Strom's going to know that I'm missing. And so here are all of the things that you need to inform Jake, Tass, and Megan about. And you've got 10 minutes to do it. And I couldn't tell... I obviously couldn't communicate that to uh, to to these three, but it was it was such a good way to instill a lot of urgency right at the beginning. And Rev was like kind of trolling me a little bit by having James sort of like ramble on and try to like talk to the rest of the group on it several times. And and as he was doing this, Rev was like turning his phone towards me, so I got to see that like, there's only 90 seconds left, and James oh, yeah. is rambling. And I was had to be like, James, we have no time it worked there was for real urgency and like we're like she's a little pushy (laughs) (laughs) well and it was just confusing which it was supposed to be coming into this new world not knowing what was happening having other people on the other side who knew that we were going to be there it's not something we could have anticipated at all so again like we talked about earlier with you going to a new place you have to figure out how it works there yeah going into a new place where somebody 
had shit already ready to go for us and there was urgency. It worked yeah. so well with the story. It was just confusing as fuck as players because we were just like, <laughs> how does Kim know any of this? Yeah. <laughs> I I just love when you can set up moments like that where you can have players who know something and others who don't and like just that feeling that it brings to the table. Um, I feel like with I feel like now after that one, I, I've had at least one of those moments with everybody where it's like, a, hey, here's a thing only you know. As we go through this scene together, you get to reveal this or you get to just watch them discover it because you already know. I mean, I think my favorite thing is really kind of echoed by what you have all said. My favorite thing is always the unexpected conversations with the NPCs. Um, I loved the scenes with Lana and Megan. I love the stuff, um, particularly with um, with Kester and Kim, um, just because Kester holds a very special place in my heart. He was an Oracle in Pathfinder, uh, the first character that I played after seven or eight years away from role-playing games. Um, and I loved the stuff with with Jake and Danny. Um, and then I loved doing the the more antagonistic stuff with um, Tass and Lady and- Jensie. <laughs> yeah. That and, and Selena too. Like I just love the unexpected conversations with NPCs. When I'm editing and I see that line three, which is my line, and someone else's line are the only two for like 10 minutes, I'm like, this is what I'm here for. Like, this is the thing that I love. Yeah. That's great. So, yeah. So, I have a question. Yeah. What am I doing in Monster of the Week? So, that is a very good question. You know, I very specifically wanted Kim to be the Oracle because that, made it so she would know that they were coming into the world, but also because it gave me an opportunity to do something that I had not done before, which was build a playbook for Monster of the Week from the ground up. Um, so I present to you all the seer. Oh, shit. Uh, this is a trope <laughs> that I think is is one that I really like in the horror genre that we don't see reflected yet uh, in the existing playbooks. Uh, so this is the seer. The future isn't set in stone. It's more like ice. You can chip away at it, shaping it with enough patience, but be careful not to handle it too much, or it will become weak, begin to melt, and lose the details of the desired form. So the seer's special. When you spend a point of luck, your sidestepped fate comes for someone important to you. At the very beginning, the seer picks some things about their visions. Uh, The first being, my visions are always, and you pick one, literal representations, only experienced by me or detail-oriented. My visions are also always, pick one, draining, overwhelming, flashy. And then lastly, my visions require, and you pick three, tools, cards, bones, tea leaves, etc. Focus and concentration, a medium, painting, sketching, prose, etc. Physical contact, time, a vice, alcohol, drugs, adrenaline, etc. Sleep, meditation, or dreams, and lastly, an offering, blood, a burned item, etc. And then the moves for the seer. You get all the basic moves, plus three seer moves. You get this one. How do you stop an exploding man? At the beginning of each mystery, roll plus weird. On a hit, you get a vision of a future where the keeper's countdown clock has reached midnight. On a 10 plus, you may ask a question from read a bad situation about the vision. And then the remaining moves are, stop trying to hit me and hit me. You see the hits coming. When you suffer harm, you suffer one less harm. The precogs are never wrong. Use plus weird instead of plus sharp when you read a bad situation. Psychometry. When you investigate a mystery, asking what happened here does not cost a hold and may be asked on a fail. I can see through time. Once per mystery, when you use your gift to see the bigger picture, roll plus weird. On a 10 plus, hold three. On a seven to nine, hold one. 
Each hold can be spent to give yourself or another hunter key information which aids an action currently being taken and allows a roll with advantage, being you roll 3d6 and take the two highest. No accidents, no coincidences, no escapes. When you take this move, scratch out the Seer special from the playbook and use luck without ramification, knowing that when you spend your final point, death will be waiting to claim you. And lastly, Apollo's Gift. When you manipulate someone using information gained from a vision, treat a mixed success as a success and a success as an advanced success. On a fail, your truths are seen as lies by the bystanders for the rest of the mystery. And then you get two pieces of gear, a ritual dagger, a walking stick, strange coins, martial arts, a sword cane, a belt knife, a sensor, a holdout pistol. And then really, I think the only other thing on here uh, to note is that on the improvements, uh, they have an improvement option to remove two of their vision requirements. They also have one to take another tag from my visions are always. Uh, And then on their advanced improvements, they have one that says, even if you haven't lived it all, you've seen it all. Take a permanent plus one ongoing to read a bad situation. Nice. Wow. So yeah, this is the playbook that Kim is going to be playing. And we'll find out next episode what she's going to take. Outstanding. It's solid. I'm I'm very happy with it. Uh, I shared it with a couple of people, got some feedback. I actually just heard back from Michael Sands about it. I'm very I'm very happy with it. I'm excited to see how it plays. Hell yeah. Yeah, so uh if other people want to play the seer, take a look at it. Uh how or where can they do that? So if you are interested in using or just perusing the seer playbook, uh you will be able to find that on our website after the episode goes live, episode 26 on February the 9th. I'm so excited. Thank you for writing that playbook. It's so cool. Uh, All right. Well, I think with that, we'll be back next week to find you all sprawled on the floor of the castle, having just fallen through a time portal. Any closing thoughts? Give me the outtakes. Fair. I want to say Muzak. Muzak. (laughs) You got it. Got it in one. Brizak. (laughs) Brizak. 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 Yeah, Brizak. Like, like an optic blast. Kachow. <laughs> <Yeah>. Brizak. <laughs> Just like Kachow. Uh, I would I would do my best. I don't know how long it would take me to get out the door, but I'd try to be there. I might be a few minutes late. I show up a few minutes late. Yeah, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to go over to Danny and like do our uh, our special high five that we have. Yeah. Uh, and be like, Hey, I got to go do a really important job looking at a bunch of books. You want to come help me? She shakes her head no. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. The shelves are really high. It'll be way easier for you to get to some of them. She smiles and and takes your hand. She doesn't smile. She don't got a mouth. No, damn it. (laughs) Little tongue comes out and licks the sides of her proboscis. (laughs) She nods. (laughs) (laughs) We got there. It's it's real cute, actually. It is. Like the thought of it. Like an an anteater. Yeah. (laughs) Just a little. That's what I'm thinking. So cute. Uh, how have you been? Oh, not too bad. It's been quiet. Good. Uh, haven't kidnapped anybody. <laughs> sure haven't done anything. Sure didn't let a baker's dozen of shapeshifters through my portal. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we find Kim and Tass standing next to the bean. I'm going to flick it. <laughs> <laughs> the city comes to life. Oh, no. <laughs> So this is like a face I'm going to recognize. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. You want to tell me who so that like I can okay. be. All right. Be, like, Take a deep breath. You see all of her rows of teeth in her mouth flutter. 
Oh no. God. <laughs> like like a breeze in a field of corn. <laughs> why I are love- they so mobile? Yeah, why are her teeth so floppy? <laughs> I love it when Bad Rev is just care. describing and it gets away from him and then <laughs> and I don't stop. He doesn't stop. <laughs> and then the impact of what he just said hits him and he goes from like just clearly describing to just this horror <laughs> of understanding of what just came out of his mouth. It's beautiful to watch. <laughs> so tell me what you would like to avoid in grapple hooking your way. <laughs> that sounds like that sounds like a prostitute who's got a really good <laughs> CMD. Nope. Oh my God. <laughs> then I was hoping to get back to you guys and then get back to her office before she did. If you guys can get it back there somehow, awesome well i've i've still got my favor from tiresias should i cash that in for this uh oh i can fucking turn invisible and teleport yeah i'm i'll put this back um (laughs) you ask him and he's like turn invisible and teleport there use your abilities dumbass yeah look at your character (laughs) so in this moment after telling her that you dropped kester off and then someone else came to pick him up she shatters her glass on the ground and in the shattering of it the alcohol inside bursts into flames and the flames roll up the robe that she is wearing and leave behind her formal dress. Aww. Disappointing. Yeah. I got very I excited for a moment. <laughs> and leave behind big naked demon boobs. <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah. Is everybody happy? <laughs> is this office on the water? Because I, I see a motorboat coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Finally. You're I know. welcome, we've, Tumblr. We've all been waiting for it. Jake plays some porn music. <laughs> Every moment there was something that was just like even close to being like spicy came and I would just look at it like snap over to Here each other comes. like finally, finally. <laughs> Someone's got to have sex on this podcast. <laughs> all right. So let's go with Jake heading over to the rookery. What the fuck's up, man? <laughs> Shit, man, not much. How about you? <laughs> Lord Merchant's trying a new vibe. He's like, <laughs> what the fuck's up, my dog? And as she pulls away, uh, you notice that she had, uh, had slipped her, her nose yep. through my leg. <laughs> <laughs> Slurping. And now her now she crackles with your wizardly power. <laughs> she says she signs, I can go, I can do whatever the fuck I want. And when they speak, they speak in unison. Welcome to the court of the Silver Wing. How may we be of assistance to you? Ozymandias. Oh, fuck. This is just a scene of me talking to myself. It is. (laughs) Damn it. Aiden, he wears it strapped around his ankle. It's a large knife in a sheath, almost like a a buck knife or a buoy knife. He takes it off when he sleeps, when he showers, when he has sex. Other than that, it's on his person at all times. (laughs) I'll I'll take one for the team. Listen, I've fucked a vampire before and I'll do it again. <laughs> Actually, no, because he killed my mom. That's a really difficult. That's that's a pretty big red flag. As far as, as, far as red flags go. Oh, uh, right. I didn't get to talk to you about this. Uh, she said she doesn't really eat, but she said that she kind of feeds on like other people enjoying themselves. So I went and got out some snacks for everyone. Um, let me see. What's your favorite snack? Concord grapes and pickles. I was thinking about grapes. Together? <laughs> yeah. 
And just a mash, just a mash of grapes and pickles. Mm. I don't even like the textures of them. I just, <laughs> I just I don't smell consider them. this. So help me God. I'm, By the time they're back in season, I won't remember. If I ever <laughs> discover you eating that concoction. I mean, we're really just talking about sweet relish, baby. <laughs> I mean, I that's mean, also bad. Sweet yeah, relish with a spoon, you. bad. <laughs> What's a better place look like to you? A place where we're not all as broken apart and afraid of each other. He's more the star-bellied sneech guy, and you're the one that makes the machine that. Oh, that doesn't turn out very well either. I don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, the Dr. Seuss book with the the sneeches and the, the star belly sneeches, and they thought they were special because <laughs> they had a star on their belly. All we have in the future is comic books and Dr. Seuss <laughs> books, and that's the only media that exists all, in the year 2121. Hey, now, I grew up when they grew up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't forget that. Jake doesn't get the reference, but he hears star bellied sneech, and he's like, yeah, that one actually, that one sounds better. I accept. <laughs> But you are able to get Tiresias and Kester back to the subterranean layer. Great. Uh, I think as we're getting them set up, you know, I definitely introduce them to Grandpa. Uh, but I would like to talk to Tiresias. Yeah, there really isn't. Uh, I don't want to say any that. way he can avoid this. <laughs> <laughs> He's in a jar. <laughs> you hold he, just, him up. he just turns around. He just keeps he keeps swimming in a circle. Moves his tongue oh, to no, paddle. Gross. <laughs> Hate that. I still like presses his tongue against the glass to pivot himself. <laughs> you feel something nudge your elbow. I think I'm startled. And look. It is the Pegasus Princess Souffle. And she is nuzzling at your arm. And as you turn and look at her, one of the wings folds out and comes across your back almost in a hug. Oh, hi. Yeah, uh, thank you. <laughs> it's okay. No problem. <laughs> Don't be sad. Sweet Vendetta can't talk. He's an idiot. <laughs> the rest of us can all talk. It's not because we're unable. He's he just, chooses not he's to. He's just a dumb dog. just an <laughs> And Tass, your phone rings. Oh, no. Fuck. And I look at it. It is an unknown number. I'll answer it. What the fuck is your character's name? <laughs> I don't think i had to Ra- say it. Regal. Regal. Who the okay. fuck are you? I looked down to like take notes, and I was I was waiting for you to like answer, like respond yeah. with him answering the phone. It was just like, what the fuck is your character's name? Like I thought was what Aiden was saying, like like what the fuck are you doing or something? Like I thought it was gonna be that. And then, that's the what I thought was happening dummy? too. <laughs> yeah. Earlier, I was getting into um, <laughs> Selena's voice, and I was listening to like the old episodes of like the way she was using words. I was like, "How is she gonna say this to Jake?" Like, "Oh man, I didn't expect to see your dumb face again, you pile of shit." <laughs> like, I was like, "What's <laughs> what could she get away with that doesn't make it undramatic anymore?" <laughs> oh, you big dumb fuck! I hate your guts. <laughs> you you dumb idiot. Dear you done wrong me for the last time. <laughs> The energy breaks around him and the portal behind you goes silent and you have all made it home. Kind of. <laughs> Kim's new home. We'll fix it in post. There's Credits. a better ending probably. But it's something like that. The end. Goodbye. Yeah. Stop it. The Crit Show is a Crit Show Studios production, edited and produced by Brandon Wentz with music by Jake Purley. You can find more information about us at thecritshowpodcast.com. To keep up to date with upcoming live shows, contests, and other special events, follow us at The Crit Show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For even more weekly content, join us at patreon.com slash thecritshow.
the Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. 17.9 cycles ago, us machines defeated the humans. Now, we're living the good life here in Droidston, Manitoba. Morning, Gif! Morning, Gus! But there's still the problem of human infestation. That's what it's time to call Human Be Gone. Human Be Gone! Experts in ethical human relocation. <laughs> this job has everything. Danger. Whoa, sounds like we got some dingers in there. Excitement. Incoming. And drama. You're the one who leaked herself in my Pasmani rice bed. It's a dirty job, but some bot's gotta do it. Oh. Human Be Gone. Coming soon wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>